The sermon preached at St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, member of the Wells, on July twentieth, 2014, based on First Chronicles 17, verses 16 through 27. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our sermon text today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 17. You'll hear the text read as we go through the, the sermon here today. At this time, please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. God, if you're up there somewhere, oh, I know I don't talk to you much, God, but I really need your help right now. If you get me out of this mess, I'll be a better person. Those are examples of some maybe so-called prayers that you could hear in movies or TV programs. But as you well know, those are not prayers of faith. We don't want that kind of thinking or attitude seeping into our hearts and minds. And so today, we want to look at at an example of a prayer of faith. A prayer coming from the heart of the believer. We want these prayers of Scripture, not simply to seep into our hearts, but to gush and to overflow so that as we take to heart what the Scriptures say and the examples of prayers they give, it overflows into our prayer life as well. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 17, we have a prayer that King David prayed. To help us take to heart his prayer here, we need a little bit of background. At the beginning of the chapter, we hear that David, King David wants to build a house for God, the temple. And it sounds like a great idea. Even the prophet Nathan tells David, go ahead, do it. But that night, the Lord comes to the prophet and tells uh, Nathan to go back to David and to give him this message. No, David, you are not the one who is to build a house for me. But that wasn't the only thing that the prophet was to tell David. He was to go on and tell David this and give David this promise from the Lord. David, you're not going to be building the temple for for the Lord. But the Lord will be building a house for you. Not a house made out of stone and brick, but the Lord God will raise up one of your descendants, a son from your own body, who will reign on your throne forever and ever. And that, Son of yours will build a house for my name. Now, we, having the advantage of the entire scriptures before us, see how the Lord fulfilled that promise to David. The Lord, first of all, fulfilled it in a a preliminary way, you might say, by raising up David's son Solomon to be on David's throne. And Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem the house for the Lord. And yet, as you well know, Solomon didn't reign forever, for the promise here didn't simply point to Solomon, but was really looking forward toward the greater son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came from David's family line, and who indeed reigns forever and ever from his heavenly throne. And Jesus built that house of God that is not made out of dead stone or bricks, but out of living stones, 
with he, Jesus, the chief cornerstone. We are that house, that temple of God that Jesus has built. Now, when David has heard this promise, he prays to the Lord. And so we see how David's prayer marvels at the Lord's promise. That's the overall theme we want to keep in mind here. And that's what we want our prayers to do as well, isn't it? We want our prayers to marvel at the Lord's promises. Notice how David begins. David says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant, You have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. O Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. Did you notice the the attitude reflected in David's words there? An attitude of humility. Who am I, O Lord? Who am I to receive such promises? Think of what you know of David's life. Think of how how it started. He was the youngest son and was put in charge of just watching the sheep. And yet the Lord took him from watching sheep to making him king over all of Israel. And as David says... That, that, that by itself is more, much, much more than I am deserve. Who am I that you have brought me this far? And yet, and yet, Lord, you are making this wonderful promise. A promise that, that, that brings joy to David, not simply because the Savior would be his descendant, but even more so that the Savior, the Savior is coming, his Savior, the one he needed. Who am I, Lord, that you would save a sinner like me? And isn't that what we want in our prayers as well? Who am I, Lord? Who am I but a sinner, unworthy, undeserving of your love and your mercy? And yet you have made such great promises. You have sent my Savior. You have rescued me. You have taken away my sins and laid them on Jesus instead. You have credited me with his righteousness so that I, unworthy, worthless sinner though I am, I can stand before your presence clothed with my Savior. Notice how how David refers to himself as a servant. That too reflects that humility. Who am I but a lowly servant? And there we realize as a servant, even if we did everything God commanded, even if we did it perfectly, We still don't deserve anything more from him. We've only done our duty. And yet, what a gracious God who has made such great promises to us. Who am I to receive such promises? It's not because of me, but only because of you, O Lord, your grace and your mercy. Yes, we want our prayers too to reflect that humility And then as we see David go on here, he he looks back to the past at how the Lord has already kept his promises. Listen, as uh, as he says, 
There is no one like you, O Lord, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for yourself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people Israel your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Yes, David recalls how the Lord had kept his promises. In effect, he is saying how marvelously marvelously you have redeemed your people, how wonderfully you have worked out their redemption. He looked back at that history and saw how from slavery in Egypt the Lord had rescued them and brought them to this promised land. And you and I, dear Christians, we too can look back and see how the Lord keeps his promises, how he has kept them. And maybe this is something to to think about in our prayers. We pray not only asking God for stuff in the future, but also to pray, in a sense, repeating what he tells us in his word, repeating his promises that he has already kept and giving him thanks and praise for that. For he has delivered us from an even greater slavery than he did his people Israel. He's delivered you and me, rescued us from slavery to sin, slavery to death. And he has redeemed us not by sending plagues against Pharaoh, but by sending his own dear son, his one and only, who came from the Father's side to pay the ransom price. Not gold or silver, but his holy precious blood. Even as in the first part we recognize our own inner worthlessness, who am I? Here we recognize the great value the Lord by grace has placed on us that he paid the ultimate price to redeem you and me, the price of his own son's precious blood. So that he brought you into his family as one of his own dear blood-bought people. That's the promise he made to you at your baptism, that he placed his name on you, that you are now his people, his child, his blood-bought dear one. And in the Lord's Supper today, you taste that ransom price as Jesus gives you his body and blood to eat and to drink. Yes, you are his redeemed people. He has kept his promise. And as we pray, we too want to marvel at how wonderfully The Lord has kept his promises. So we look back and we see that great redemption history the Lord has fulfilled. And as we pray, we also look forward, knowing that he will continue to keep his promises. And we see that David doing that in the third part here. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promised, so that it will be established, and that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty, the God over Israel, is Israel's God, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Do those words sound sort of bold when he says, Do, do as you promised? David is holding God to his promises here. But not in a way that is is self-serving. Not in a way that is, is imposing 
David's self-chosen will. No. He, he uses a strong word when he says, do it, Lord, do it. But it's not as if he's saying to God, do it because this is what I want as my dream. This is what I've thought up for myself and I think is best. He's saying, do it because this is what you have promised. I want it because this is what you want, Lord. Uh, my will matches with yours, so, so do it. Do as you have promised. And you and I, dear friends, can pray with that same kind of boldness that holds God to his promises. This boldness is right in line with that humbleness that we talked about earlier. For it is recognizing that it is not my self-chosen will that I want God to do. He's not my sort of genie that whatever I wish he should uh, perform. But no, do, Lord, do as you have promised. For my will is your will, Lord. And maybe, maybe an example can help bring this out. We may, or one of our family members or loved ones will often struggle with a disease, a sickness, debilitating health. And we know that the Lord has, has promised to be with us, to help us. But he doesn't necessarily promise that he will heal this or that specific disease. And so even though we, we can pray, Lord, Lord, heal me or heal my loved one, there we need to add, if it is your will. And yet we can pray with a kind of boldness that says, Lord, and this is if, for, let's say I'm sick, I would say, Lord, give me the strength to make it through this illness, whether it leads to recovery or, or, or leads to my heavenly home. Lord, you have promised to give me the strength. Do it. Strengthen my faith, even as my physical strength may decline. Lead me to, to lean on you all the more. Lead me to see the different opportunities to serve you and glorify your name, even if I'm not able to do what I used to be able to do. Help me serve you to your glory with whatever you give me. For you have promised to be with me even through this. And that is what we see in David's prayer here as well. Do this, Lord, as you have promised. Do it so that your name is glorified. And that's really our ultimate goal here on this earth too, isn't it? To glorify the Lord's name so that others too hear of his wonderful redemption, his saving work. Do as you have promised, Lord, so that your name is glorified. And in the last part here now, in the last part, we see where David finds the courage to pray like this. He says, You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. So your servant has found courage to pray to you. O Lord, you are God. You have given this good promise to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight for you, O Lord, have blessed it, and it will be blessed forever. Yes, his courage to pray comes from the Lord's revealed promise. And so too does our courage. We really now come to where we started in our discussion here today. 
Our courage to pray doesn't come from within ourselves because we think that we deserve God to hear us. No. We pray, who am I to receive such promises from the Lord? But it's those very promises that give us that courage. For the Lord has redeemed you to be his own people so that we can pray to him as a dear child going to his or her dear father. And we can pray with that confidence that knows that the Lord will keep his promises as the future comes. Because he is the Lord, the faithful God. And so we pray with that courage, that courage that comes from his promises. And so, like David, we too pray marveling at the Lord's promises. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.